Okay. So this morning we are uh, starting this new series. It's titled, Take Your Stand. Take Your Stand. So we're thinking about a subject, as I said, of spiritual warfare. Um, and we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. It's probably one of the most well-known passages uh, on this subject. Uh, and what we're going to do this morning is just read this passage together. And from there, we're going to focus in on verses 10 to 13. So we're going to read the entire passage and then look at verses 10 to 13. Next week, Andrew's going to be looking at verses 14 to 15. Then the following week, I'm going to be looking at 16 to 17. And then our final time together is going to be verses 18 to 20. So we're just taking it section by section um, within this passage. Um, this is a plan. My prayer for us, as I've already highlighted, indicated, is that we would be challenged and changed by what God's word says. Um, if you have your Bibles, let's just have a look at Ephesians 6. So verse 10, I'm reading from the CSB, Christian Standard Bible, and it'll be up on the screen for us as well. So Paul says this, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against the evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God, so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand, stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit, with every prayer and request. And stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word uh, this morning. Uh, something I do uh, throughout the year is just to take some time to pray, uh, to read God's word, to listen to what the Spirit is saying uh, when it comes to what books, what passages, what theme we might look at when it comes to a particular sermon series. Um, and it was just after the summer uh, last year, uh, as I'd been praying and just taking time to dig into God's word, I just had this real sense as a church family, we need to look at this subject of spiritual warfare. Um, as we start this series today, I want you to know it's a conviction in my heart that this is what we should look at as we begin a new year. I really sense there's something important about that. As we start a new year, it's so important we recognize the battle we face, and not in a way that causes fear or discouragement, in a way that gives us confidence of victory in Christ. This is our direction in January 2022, and I hope it informs all that we look at in the rest of our time this year. Uh, tying in with this was what a number of you have shared with me, just in terms of struggles you have had within your own walk. Particular struggles, lies that you've maybe believed in your life, strongholds that you've carried as well. Uh, all of this has prevented yourselves and myself as well at different points, from living out the life that God has called us to live out. 
and living as an effective member of the body within the local church, whether that's DBC or somewhere else. Now, I don't dismiss any of that. I recognize that this is real. That as we move forward in our lives, as we walk with Christ, we do experience this internal war in our hearts and in our minds from time to time. The enemy is alive and well. And one of the biggest things of the enemy is he wants you to make you think that it's just in your head. There's not an, an external source of attack. And his aim is to consistently steal, kill, and destroy who we are in Christ. This is his goal. This is his plan. This is his purpose. And one of his greatest tactics is to isolate you from what's happening within the life of the church. And his goal is to also throw stuff in your life or to take things from your life that prevent you from being the best version of you. That sounds like some prosperity gospel nonsense. It's not. God calls us to be the best version of ourselves as we rely upon his power. The version of you that is possible in the power of his Holy Spirit and for the glory of his name. The enemy's aim is to take us away from who we already are in Christ. He wants us to take us away from that. He wants us bound to lies and sin and strongholds that result in a diminished and diluted version of our Christian experience. And this can so often make us a shell of who we really are, who we already are in Christ at a practical level. And that's so important. We already are this in Christ, and yet we can live in a way that does not reflect that. And I say all of that under no illusion that this is maybe what you're going through right now. Maybe you're struggling right now. Maybe you're finding something difficult. Maybe you're believing a lie. Maybe you're finding there's this habitual sin in your life. So I recognize this is not just maybe something that happened in the past or the last year or before. This could be present day right now. So it's absolutely imperative that we recalibrate our hearts and our minds with what it is God's word says. And not what our experience tells us around this subject of what a Christian life should look like. Uh, God wants you and I to know that in Christ, we already are 100% free. We're already 100% free, not 50% free. There's not 75% freedom. There's not even 99% freedom. If we are in Christ, we are 100% free. The words of Jesus in John's Gospel, and particularly what Jesus speaks of in John 8, 36, come to mind. So Christ says this, so if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. That's so simple and yet so powerful. If you are free, you really are free. There's no doubt about that. If you have faith in Christ today, then you have freedom. It's your identity in Him. I just wonder, we don't normally do this, but I wonder if we can just say that together this morning. We can just repeat these words of John 8, 36. So after three, one, two, three. So if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. Do it one more time. So if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. Feels better having said that. Well, for myself anyway, I feel better having said that. I recognize that I can so often forget this truth, but I'm free in Christ. And therefore, I can live at a practical level in freedom. You know, some of you have struggled with this truth in this last year. And the struggle has been something that actually has been opposed to what Scripture says. And maybe this is known to you and others, or maybe it's just completely unknown to you. So often we can live in a way 
It's contrary to the word of God. And we can be completely unaware of the fact that we are living in that way. We can deceive ourselves as well as deceive other people. So it may be a particular sin as I've highlighted. It may be something that you're living with. A lie you've believed. Possibly it's a worry. You're consumed by a worry or a fear. A circumstance or a situation. Whatever it is. I want to encourage you this morning that God sees and God knows and God understands and he is with us and he is working in your life so that you might move towards that place of full and complete freedom. December 2020 was a particularly challenging month uh, for myself. Um, I started to believe these lies and a lot of it was around this role as, as a pastor that I have. I started to think that I wasn't really cut out for being a pastor, for pastoring. But I didn't have the ability to do the one thing I sensed I was called to do. And I knew at the time, and looking back also, and maybe some of you were completely unaware of this, I knew at the time that it was affecting my preaching. It was affecting my ability to support people within the life of the church. It was affecting my walk with Jesus. And it felt, it honestly felt like this tsunami of negativity and doubt and fear. Now, what was going on there was that the lies of the enemy were becoming louder than the word of God. So I was allowing the lies of the enemy to speak more, more pertinently, pertinently into my life. And it was only as I actively and only as I practically replaced these lies with scripture that I started to experience real victory. So I had to actively reject the lies. I had to write these lies down and then replace them with what God's word said. And I experienced victory. I can say that today. It was a, a month of, of real difficulty. But after that month, I did experience 100% freedom. I'm confident in that. I look back in December 2020 and I compare it to this last year of 2021. And I can see how God broke through for me in the power of his Holy Spirit. And not only that, what I learned from that experience, I was then able to help others with. So I can see just what God's doing. God allowed that situation. And at the time I was like, why is this going on? Why is this happening? And yet God used this to strengthen myself, but also to allow me to support and encourage other folk. And having shared some of these truths individually, it's got to the stage that I really sense this is what we should do in this sermon series. So a lot of this is, is what we've learned, what I've learned um, in December, beyond December, throughout last year. Um, and I just want to, as to begin as we focus uh, on this subject matter, there are just three points that I would want us to begin with this morning as we think about this whole concept of spiritual warfare. The first one is we need to know, first of all, that we're in a battle. We need to know that we're in a battle. Secondly, we need to know who it is we're in a battle with. And thirdly, we also need to know how it is we can find victory in that battle. So we need to know we're in a battle. We need to know who it is we're in a battle with. And we need to know, most important, that we can find victory in this battle. So number one, uh, by February, as we reach to the end of this series, my prayer is that you would know with all that you are, that you are free. And my prayer is that you would know and experience, as I've already said, not partial freedom, but full and complete freedom. And my prayer is you would know that this is your status in Christ. And you would also know that you have a responsibility to continue walking and living day to day in this status. It's one thing knowing this, it's another thing in applying this day to day. We do have a part to play in this. It's important we don't forget that. 
My prayer for every single one of you is that your daily actions and habits would be a reflection of the inner reality and identity that you have in Christ as we find it in God's word. And this is only ever possible when you begin by realizing that you are in a battle. So we need to recognize that first. For us to live in the way that God calls us to, we need to recognize first that we're in a battle. Now, farmers for years have played this cheeky little tactic with cows. Um, if they want to keep their cows in a certain section of the field, they'll ramp up the electricity in what can often just be a simple, small fence. And the cows try and leave that section of the field and zap. They're electrocuted. They run back into the section of the field they've been grazing in for so long. And they, start, and they stay there because they want to avoid getting that shock. But after a couple of weeks, the farmer takes the electricity off, a small fence. Sometimes he even takes a small fence off completely. And yet, what do the cows do? The cows still stay in this wee bit of field, this bit of grass. They still believe that the fence is there, and the fence is electric, and they will get a shock. The farmer knows that for the cow to stay in this small patch of field, the cow just has to believe that he'll be electrocuted. Even if he won't be. Even if it's not true, all the cow needs to do is to believe that he will get that shock. And so often this can be our Christian experience. This can be our Christian life. We have full and complete freedom to be the people God created us to be. The electric fence is gone from our lives. But if we believe the lies that are contrary to God's word, then like that cow, we will be prisoners to something that isn't true. Prisoners to something that isn't real. We will not reach a full potential that's right in front of us. We have a full pasture before us. And the reason for that is because of some foothold, some unbiblical lie or lies that sit over our hearts or our minds. So the starting point in a sermon series and in our passage is to recognize there is a battle going on in our hearts and it's a battle for our freedom. And according to Paul, it's primarily a battle against the devil himself. It's a battle between what is true and what is false in the spiritual realm against the devil and his angels, which is our second introductory point. So have a look at what Paul says in verse 12. Paul says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Now Paul says this to the church in Ephesus. Ephesus. Ephesus was an interesting place. All you need to do is go back in your Bible a bit to Acts 19 and verses 11 to 20 to see that the city of Ephesus had this reputation for the practice of magical arts. William Bartley in his commentary in Galatians and Ephesians says this about the people of Ephesus. And it'll be up on the screen for us. Undoubtedly, life was much more terrifying for the people of those times than it is for us today. They believed implicitly in evil spirits which filled the air and were determined to bring harm to people. And have a look at what David Devonish writes about the context that Paul is writing to here in Ephesians. David Devonish says this, Ephesus was a city devoted to the occult. The temple of Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, was there. The cult of Diana was centered in Ephesus. It was in that city that Paul had his most dramatic confrontation with the powers of darkness. It was there that Christian converts burnt occult manuscripts worth the equivalent of 50,000 days' wages. If any new church might be justified in dwelling on the overwhelming strength of the powers of darkness, it was the church at Ephesus. Yet it is to that church that Paul writes most powerfully of the victory of Christ and of our victory in Christ. All that to say, 
there was an awareness in this, of the spiritual realm and the spiritual battle amongst believer and non-believer within this city. An awareness that we do not necessarily have in 21st century Scotland. So when Paul here speaks of a struggle as one of being against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of his darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens, it's unclear. Paul may be translating the reality of spiritual warfare in a language that they understand. So he's describing his forces in all of these different terms. Or he may be speaking literally of the different levels of, of spiritual authority that exist within, a, within a, the demonic realm. In one sense, understanding Paul's description here in verse 12 is not as important as understanding the fact that there is an active force of evil whose sole purpose is to destroy our lives. Our victory begins as we recognize that we're in a battle and as we identify who our enemy is and the tactics that he so often plays out day to day. All of which brings us on to our third introductory point this morning. We need to know how to win. We need to know how to win. If you know anything about history in World War II, you'll know that when the Allies invaded France on D-Day on the 6th of June 1944, there were two fundamental pieces of information for them to find long-term victory against the German forces. First, they needed to understand who their enemy was. And secondly, they needed to know how it is they could defeat their enemy. They needed to understand who their enemy was and they needed to understand how it is they could defeat their enemy, how they could win. And in verse 12, and also in so much of verses 10 through to 20, Paul wants us to see who this enemy is. And he wants us to understand how we can defeat this enemy. All of which is vitally important for us as we seek to walk in the light and overcome the forces of darkness. And one of the books we've recommended to you is uh, C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. And probably the most famous quote, quote from that book is in the preface. And Lewis uh, says this. He says, There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. Now, I do agree with what Lewis is saying here. I agree with what he says to some extent. He's right in saying that we can fall into either of these traps. We can deny the enemy or we can be consumed by this unhealthy focus on the devil. That's a, that's a reality. That's a pitfall that we can fall in and it falls in both directions. What I disagree with is the fact that these are equal errors, particularly in our context in Scotland in 2022, and particularly in our church context as well, in many of the backgrounds that we've came out of. I think we're too easy to dismiss what we experience in our lives, and I mean in particular the difficult stuff in our lives, as mere happenstance. We're very easy just to to think, okay, that problem in my life is just a circumstance of my life. Our problem is not one of constantly blaming the devil. Our problem is not discerning the work of the devil enough. Let me say that again. Our problem is not one of constantly blaming the devil. Our problem is not discerning the work of the devil enough. And I say that very carefully because this is what Paul would imply in verse 12 in our passage. For Paul... This was the primary issue at play in day-to-day -day difficulties and challenges that he and the Ephesian believers came across. So let's just read verse 12 again. 
Paul says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not the physical, but it is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Now, recognizing this reality in verse 12 does not mean that you do not have personal responsibility over your own sin. You can never ever say in your life, the devil made me do it. You can never say that. We have self-control. We have full and complete responsibility. In Christ, the spirit of the living God dwells inside us. We have the spirit of self-control. It's one of the fruits of the spirit. But having said that, understand that the enemy is at work. In fact, Paul would imply here, the enemy is always at work to a greater or lesser degree in the sins and the struggles and the suffering that we all face. Alongside this, knowing that fact does not mean you know exactly how it is the enemy is involved in these things as well. We don't know exactly how it is he works and operates. In fact, it's not our job to work this out. Our job is to do as the writer to the Hebrews says, Hebrews 12, to fix our eyes upon him as the author and perfecter of our faith. What we do know from Scripture is that there are various ways in which he, as Paul describes in verse 11 of our passage, schemes, the devil schemes. We know that we are living in an evil day, verse 13, when we see him at work in a number of different ways. And John Piper highlights 10 ways that the devil operates in our world and in our lives. And I'm just going to look at these very briefly. But it gives us an idea of his tactics. It gives us discernment as we think about what we face. And hopefully it will give us an equipping as we move forward in the power of God's strength. So Piper says this, he lies. He is the father of lies. Number one. Number two, he blinds. He blinds the minds of unbelievers. Number three, he masquerades as an angel of light. Four, he distracts. He can distract with signs and wonders. Number five, he tempts. He tempts other people to sin. And number six, he steals. He's a thief. He steals the word of God and faith from non-believers and believers. Number seven, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes he creates physical illness. That's so clear in God's word. Number eight, he kills, sometimes literally. Number nine, he fights the plans of missionaries. First Thessalonians 2, 17 to 18, we read that but Satan hindered us. So Paul had these missionary plans and we read that Satan hindered them. And I'll just say, TJ and Dina and Claire aren't with us this morning. But do pray for them. Pray that the enemy would not have that kind of foothold in their lives. Because Satan is not happy that these guys have came over to Scotland to serve. In fact, he's got a passionate hatred about us. So I would encourage you to pray for them on a regular basis. And number 10, one of his most common ways in which he attacks us, he accuses. He accuses Christians before God. So if we know this is how the devil operates, if we know this is his tactics, his schemes, we will be equipped to the fullness of God's equipping. We will, by definition, be overcomers. We'll be able to withstand against his attacks, to be more than conquerors in Christ, to always find victory in whatever fiery arrows he throws at us. Paul wants us to know our enemy, and he wants us to know how to defeat our enemy. And in verses 10 to 13, within our passage, he highlights three things we need to do to find victory. And this is going to be our, our focus. As we close, we're going to focus on these three things that Paul says in verses 10 to 13. 
So Paul begins and he says this. Number one, be strengthened by the Lord. This is the first step to finding victory against the enemy. Be strengthened by the Lord. The NIV translation says, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord. It's important you know this morning that Mark Morris versus the devil or Mark Morris versus a demonic force will always have one winner. And it's the devil. If Mark Morris tries to defeat the devil on his own strength, the devil will always win. And you coming up against the demonic force of the devil will always have one winner. And it will be the enemy if you try and do that on your own strength, on your own power. You do not, I do not, we do not have the ability to, to defeat the attacks of the enemy. They are superior beings to us. It's impossible to win. But praise God. Praise God. We do not rely upon our own strength. The strength that we have is not from us. It's not ours. It's Christ. And we have a 100% promise of victory. We have guaranteed 100% win rate when it comes to us versus the enemy because we are in Christ. So much so that I can say Mark Morris in Christ versus the devil or a demonic power. Or yourself coming up against the devil or a demonic force. Yourself in Christ. And with our intent to defeat the enemy, we'll only have one winner. We will always, always, always win. Praise God for that. We will always win. He has no ability to defeat us if we are in Christ and we are relying upon his strength. And this is a theme that Paul speaks of throughout the letter of Ephesians. So Paul is writing to this church fully aware of how difficult their context is. And he wants them to understand that he that is in them is greater than he that is in the world. So he says, yes, this is, this is pretty crazy. Ephesus is full of so much demonic and yet God is in you. And you can overcome every attack of the evil one when you step forward in faith and rely upon his power. So Paul says in his first prayer in Ephesians, in Ephesians 1, in verses 18 to 19, and this is a prayer for every single one of us. This is something that we can pray to each other. We can just think about someone in our lives, someone within the life, within the life of this church, and pray this prayer for them. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling? What is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength? The immeasurable greatness of his power according to the mighty working of his strength. Paul just wants us to be 100% certain there's absolutely nothing that the enemy can do to defeat us. If we have this kind of power in our lives, we will always win. That word power is a Greek word, dynamios, dynamios. And it's the same root Greek word that Paul uses in verse uh, 10 for strength, for being strengthened by the Lord. So what we can say here is that Paul is getting at the same point. The strength we need to overcome the evil one on the day of evil is not our own strength, it's God's. And then have a look at Ephesians 3.16. This is Paul's second prayer to the church in Ephesus. It's interesting he prays these two prayers and he emphasizes power. So Paul says in Ephesians 3.16, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. And again, that word for power, it's the same Greek word, dynamios. 
It's quite amazing that the word for strength in Ephesians 6 is the same word for power in Ephesians 1 and 3. So when Paul says, be strengthened in the Lord, we could say this, be powerful in the Lord. God is calling you to be powerful in him, to overcome every single attack of evil. And Paul wants us to understand that this strength, this power from God, is always available to us. There's not a moment in our lives where we do not have this power. We can receive this as we come to him in faith. We have everything we need to overcome and defeat every single attack of the enemy. And we have everything we need to find victory against the evil one as we are strengthened by him. So that's the first point I want us to think about. This idea of being strengthened. And the second point, Paul says this, put on the full armor of God in verse 11. And he says this a few times in through 10, 10 through to 20. That word for full armor is panoplia. It's a Greek word panoplia. And Paul's point here is a simple one. He doesn't say put on the armor. He says put on the full armor. So we cannot pick and choose which pieces of armor we may put on. Whether it be the defensive pieces or the offensive pieces. For us to find victory in Christ over and above the spiritual dark forces in this evil age. We need every single part of the armory that God has given to us. So over the next two Sundays... We're going to spend time looking at the six pieces of armour that Paul mentions. So next Sunday, as I mentioned, Andrew's going to look at the belt around the waist, the armour covering the chest, and the sandals for our feet, verses 14 to 15. The following Sunday, I'm going to be looking at the shield, the helmet, and the sword of the Spirit, verses 16 to 17. And as we move into weeks two and three, and as we understand more and more what it means to overcome and find victory in Christ against the enemy through this armour, it's important we know that the enemy does not need to let does not need us to let go of all six of these pieces of armor at the same time. If we just have one of these pieces that we're not actively living with, that's where the enemy will attack. That's the area he'll focus in on, and that's the way in which he'll try and defeat us. So think about it. If you have if you have the belt, if you have the armor, the sandals, the shield, and the sword, but you don't have the helmet. So if you have all these things but you don't have the helmet, will it not be enough of the enemy to gain ground and to gain influence within our lives? Or if you have the belt, armor, sandals, sword, and helmet, but you don't have a shield, is that not the area he's going to focus on? He's a clever guy. He's going to attack in that way, and he's going to attack in the sense that we do not have a shield to protect us. So putting on the full armor is putting on all that God has given us, in order to fight well in the power of his spirit for the glory of his name. So we can be confident we can be confident that in Christ and with all of his provision, we will be protected and we will have the power to win. So I wonder this morning how confident you are, how confident are you about this idea that victory belongs to you? And because you also belong to the Lord then victory belongs to each one of us as a church family. We win by mere association. We're with Christ, and so we're always going to win because we're with him. If we're by ourselves, we're going to lose, but if we're with him, we're always going to win. When I was uh, 17 or 18, I had a, a student job uh, in a local factory, and the job was one where I was labeling pharmaceutical products for eight hours straight. It was a really, really exciting job. I loved it. Uh, that's sarcasm, by the way. So, 
Um, one summer night, one of the guys in the factory uh, organised a game of five-a-sides. He invited a number of guys in the factory floor, and it was a whole mix of, of different ages and positions within the company and backgrounds. So as I said, I was 17 or 18. I was really, really looking forward to this game of fives with a few work colleagues. Uh, and one of the ten that were playing was this, this big, stocky guy. He looked like Andy Gorham. He had loads of tattoos in his arms. Just a, a real hard man. In his spare time, he would be a bouncer in one of the local nightclubs in East Kilbride. Um, I'd never met this guy before, but he ended up picking me up to go to this game of football. So I was five years in the car. I'm sitting in one of the seats, one of the passenger seats. And in my excitement about playing this game of fives, I open the door as, we, as he parks. Open the door, and I immediately hit someone else's car with the door. And I didn't realise that there's this couple sitting in the car. They own the car, and I'm like whacking their, their door. And they're going absolutely ballistic at me. I mean, they're, they're angry. They end up getting out of the car. They confront me. And immediately, my new, my new bouncer friend turns up. And he stands right in front of me and in, in their face. And he just, in a really, not, not a polite way, but in a certain way, he tells them just to get back in the car. And I almost kind of wanted to peer over his shoulder and just look at these guys and go, you know. But I recognized that me versus this couple, you know, there's no way I could find victory in that moment. But me with this guy, I'm always, always going to win. And it's the same for us in Christ. If we have this association, this friendship, this union with Christ, we're always going to defeat the work of the enemy. To put on the full armour of God is to put on the fullness of Christ. And it doesn't matter what the enemy says. It doesn't matter how forceful he says it. Jesus has your back. You can be confident that nothing of what he might try to do, nothing of what he might try and say, nothing of what he might try and discourage you with will ever come to fruition because you're with him. You're with him at all times. Isaiah 54, 17. As I was just thinking about that, that analogy, I was reminded of Isaiah 54. Isaiah says this, No weapon formed against you will succeed, and you will refute any accusation raised against you in court. This is the heritage of the Lord's servants, and their vindication is from me. This is the Lord's declaration. Jesus is your bouncer. He is your bouncer. So put on the full armor that's available to you. That leads us to our final point this morning as we close. Take your stand. Take your stand. <clears throat> For this reason, Paul says in verse 13, for this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist an evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Then in verse 14, Paul begins with these words, stand therefore. So Paul is emphatic here, we need to stand. Paul wants us to understand it's not enough just to know how victorious we are in Christ. We need to stand in this. We need to, to not just know it, but to then step out in faith and to live it out on a day-to-day -day basis. The reality is that none of us really believe something until it's evidenced within our lives. Until we apply what we know to be true. And we all know that to be true just generally, generally in life. If we, if we know something to be true and yet we don't have the courage to step out and apply that truth, then deep down we don't really know it to be true. But if we apply what we have learned, then we experience something, something that's wholehearted. 
So we have responsibility to be filled with the fullness of Christ and all the armour that he gives us. So to take your stand in many senses is to fulfil the words of James. James says in James 1 verses 22 to 25, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it, and is, no, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. So, may you take your stand. May you take your stand, knowing that in Christ you can stand. And knowing that you stand by being a doer, a doer of the word of God. We so often forget this, but the most effective strategy against the work of the enemy is obedience. No foothold can be gained by the enemy when we choose to keep in step with his Holy Spirit. So may we be strengthened by the Lord by putting on the full armour of God, resulting in us taking a stand into all that God has called us into in the power of his Spirit. As we close uh, this morning, uh, let me just say, if you've in any way, if you've felt under attack, if you are feeling overwhelmed, if you need a fresh experience of God's grace, then there is opportunity, whether it's during our worship time or after our service or even beyond our service, even beyond today, if you want to speak to myself or speak to Paul or anyone, anyone you have confidence in, then do have the courage uh, to speak to us and we would want to pray with you, to pray for you, that you would know God's strength. Because there's no point in us learning this and then not sharing our experience and helping one another. And this is where missional communities are really important because this is a chance for us to sharpen each other, to say, this is, I've had this, found this really difficult. I don't know what's going on, but I just want to actively pray that God would give me strength, that I would find victory in his power. So do respond in a way that enables you to pray with one another and to pray and seek God's face in whatever it is you're facing. Alongside that, if you have never, ever, made a decision to follow Christ. If Jesus this morning is not your Lord, then we would encourage you to make that, that decision to follow him, to make that step of faith and to recognize that he has an incredible plan for your life. A plan that's full of hope, a plan that's full of peace, a plan that, is a, that has a future, one that will lead you along his path for his glory. So again, do speak to us if you want to make that decision to follow him. And again, if you're just struggling in a particular way, whether it's a situation, circumstance, then do let us know. As we respond in prayer in these different ways, and as we sing together in worship, the invitation is also there to come to this table. <clears throat> and if you have faith in Christ today, we invite you to do that. We come to this table and we recognize that Jesus is our Christus Victor. He defeated the forces of evil by dying on the cross for our sins. So we rejoice and celebrate that the victory has been won it's already been won for us. Incredible. And because of this, we can rejoice and celebrate and we can worship him. It was on the night in which he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. So we come to this table, we take this bread, we drink this cup. And we celebrate the fact that Christ has already won and we live in victory today. So may it be the case that we step forward in faith into all that God has for us.
So let me pray before we respond in worship. So Heavenly Father, we, we do thank you for our time today and we thank you that, that your word is alive and active and we pray that, that in all that has been shared, whatever has been of you, Lord, I pray that that would remain. Whatever has just been of myself, I pray that you would just take that away. And I pray, Lord, that we would be truly changed and transformed by your word and we would actively choose to live in a very practical way in the truth of your word and in the power of your Holy Spirit. So help us, Lord, protect us and lead us into paths of righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.